Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Pastor Trevor, and that's not my name. My name is Trevor. I'm a pastor. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Risen. It's good to have you here. It's been quite a summer. I know it's warming up in the city, but school is about to start again, and it's nice to be, yeah. We, 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 <laughs> let's go. School, the kids are back in school. Um, and it's, it's, it's been great to get some time off, and I'm glad to be back in the pulpit and back in Scripture with you all. I want to thank um, Vinod, uh, who gave a sermon last week. I want to thank Austin. I want to thank Mark Sim. We had a guest preacher named Jeff from Generations. Uh, what a blessing it has been this summer to walk through 1 Timothy together, verse by verse, uh, believing that the church is the church of God is built on the, the word of God, right? Like you can go to the bookstore uh, or you can go to Amazon um, and you can find uh, books on like the church and how to build the church. But we often don't look at God's word as the primary instrument for building the church. And 1 Timothy functions as kind of a handbook for that. And so I'm excited about walking through that text more with you this morning. A couple of things I just want to highlight uh, just because we're here together. Um, we had last, last week, Wayne and Jeanette Smith, members of this church, just celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary. Um, and so, yes, yeah, 60 years. Um, and so they're not here this morning. I think they're online uh, feeling a bit under the weather. We're praying for them and are celebrating them. And then we've got a couple of newlyweds in the, in the congregation this morning. Um, we've got Michael and Evelyn Weaver who are here, uh, who, who just got married. Uh, it was a joy to do your all service and glad to have you all here. Uh, they're heading back to school coming up this next week. And we're praying for them as they, as they head that direction. All right. Well, if you have a Bible, you know the text. It's right there on screen. It's 1 Timothy chapter 5. I've given you a moment to open to it, um, but if you did not already see that, please do that now, and we will read that text in just a moment. I first want to highlight um, a man named Dominique Jean Larey. Dominique Jean Larey was a surgeon in the 1800s. He was in charge of medical care for Napoleon's Imperial Guard. And what Lorraine noticed is that um, Napoleon's Imperial Guard would go into battle. There would be these big battles. Many men would die and get injured and wounded. They would wait till the, the battle was over, and then he, as a surgeon, would go down and begin to treat the wounded. And he noticed, as he was treating the wounded, that there were lots of men who could have been saved if they didn't wait till the battle was over. So what he decided to do was he decided to organize a system of medical teams and wagons into mobile hospitals during the battle. And so what those units would do is they would go into the battlefield to treat the men, and they would perform any necessary surgical procedures, and he called these, these wagons and these units, he called them ambulance volante, which uh, is terrible French um, from me, but means flying ambulance, right? Flying ambulances. And it became the very first system for caring for the wounded in a timely fashion. 
that what began there in Napoleon's Imperial Guard in the 1800s became what we today call triage. If you're familiar with triage, it's when you go to the emergency room and you have an earache, they say, sit here, we'll see you in five hours. And if you come in with a gunshot wound, they say, right this way. Right? They look at you and they notice um, where you fit as a priority for care, and that's called practicing triage. It's prioritizing who we help. As a church in Los Angeles, if we look around the city, it would be very clear to us that there is need everywhere. We see teenage mental health just completely upside down. We see homelessness everywhere, rampant drug use. We see unemployment. We see trafficking. We see crime. We see a need for help everywhere. We know that there's need for help. We also know that we are Christians and we are called to help. That's part of our responsibility. If you ever remember that old Fred Rogers clip where he said, in times of difficulty, look for the helpers, right? Be a helper. And we are called to be those people. But, but this is where things get a little tricky. Let me ask this question. Is there a limit to compassion? Is there a limit to how much we as a church should give to help the needs of those in our city? Like, should the church, our church, this church, should we just give all of our money to anyone who we think needs it? Do we just give it to anyone who asks for it? Is the church a social welfare community? Has God entrusted us with the responsibility to solve all of the problems in society? If not, who should we give to? How should we decide who to give to? Where should we look for answers? Now, those questions are not new questions. They're ancient questions, and they are at the heart of the text that we are looking at this morning. This letter, which is written by Paul to Timothy, his apprentice, who is overseeing and helping to build the church in Ephesus, knows that there's a problem in Ephesus. And it relates to this question. How are we to help all of the needs that exist in our community? And so if you have a Bible... 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 16, we'll read that text together and then unpack it in our time this morning. This is 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, 
has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have the young widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Now, when you read this text at first, there's kind of a few different things happening. And my goal this morning is that one, that you would leave understanding the problem in Ephesus and how Paul prioritizes and, and how he helps solve the problem for the church. Two, its relevance for us today. Um, and three, that we might apply and live in light of it. So let me remind you this morning um, that this is a letter from Paul to Timothy to a church with some challenges, with some problems. And this is my outline for this morning. I've got three R's for you. Um, respect at the beginning, and then a conversation about responsibility in the church, and then lastly, requirements. Paul has been talking with Timothy, and before he gets into the problem of who to help and how to help and what that looks like, he sets this young man, Timothy, he gives him this responsibility to be respectful, a requirement for Timothy to be respectful. Timothy is a young leader in a church. And if you're a young leader in a church, what you know is that some people are going to listen to you and some people are going to dismiss you. So Paul gives great advice to this young leader. He does it in verses 1 and 2. And here's what he says to Timothy. He says, Timothy, when, when you are engaging with the men who are older than you, respect them like they're your father. How young people treat older people really matters. I think we've lost this a bit. Last week we showed a video where in which we were able to hear some wisdom from some of the older members in our congregation, and it was filled with wisdom. That's sort of odd today because we live in a very technological world. Like, have you ever helped one of your grandparents with their new phone? 
right? I know I have, and it can, I can sort of look at my grandparents sometimes like, why don't you understand this is the way we're all going, and to see them as, as an inconvenience. Sometimes older people are treated as an inconvenience. We live in an anti-history, progress-driven, be-young-at-all-costs society, which I do not think prepares us to learn from or show the respect that we ought to to those who have walked ahead of us. Amen? <laughs> I knew that was coming, Bob. <laughs> Paul says, Timothy, that can't be the case with you. Treat the older men like fathers. Now, like, I don't know if you've ever had to rebuke your father, but that's hard for anybody to do. It's hard to talk down to or to challenge someone who has more maturity than you do and more wisdom that you don't have. And I bet that there were older men in the church in Ephesus who needed a rebuke. But Paul says, Timothy, encourage them. It's a posture of respect. Timothy, treat the younger men like they are your brothers. Timothy, you're in leadership, and leadership is never about possessing people to do what you want them to do. Leadership is about relationship with people. Timothy, the other young men, you treat them like they are your brothers. Treat the older women like they are your mothers. Just think for a moment about the amazing older women in our church who show up, who pray, who are committed, who bring joy and life to our body, we are to treat them like we would treat our own mothers. And then Timothy, treat younger women like they are your sisters. And then he adds, did you see this? He adds in verse 2, in all purity. Which means, Timothy, when you're, with the way you're treating the young women like your sisters, make sure you're doing that with a clean heart and not with mixed motives. Be moral to them. Notice just a couple things in these verses. Timothy, as a young man, is to treat the young women like sisters. Young men have a tendency of treating their sisters differently than other girls. And so what does Paul say? He says to the young men, and if you're a young man, you should hear this, treat the other young women like they are your sisters. This is so important because we do, I am always concerned about the ways in which we do not raise a, a next generation of young men to treat women the way they deserve to be treated. Paul says to Timothy, treat them like they're your sisters. If you're dating a, a young woman, you should treat her the way you would want a young man to treat your sister. So that's the first thing. Second thing, notice that Paul is heavy here. The church is like a family. Now, I know that your tendency is to think of the church as a service or an event or a thing you, you come and show up to, but, but Risen is a family. 
That's what we are. We have one father, God, who through adoption has made us a part of this family. And we're brothers and sisters with people that we might not choose to be brothers and sisters with if it was just up to us. But we've been made a family by our father. And we need each other. I hope this isn't controversial for you. For some of it may be. The church is more like a family and less like a performance. We need each other, be respectful, treat each other like family. Now, on to the problem. In verse 3, Paul says, let's now talk about the problem going on at Ephesus. And Paul says, I don't know if you noticed it in the text, he says, Timothy, help the widows who are truly widows. In verse 3, in verse 5, in verse 16, he uses this term, truly widows. Now, we all know what a widow is. A widow is a woman whose husband has died. And in this day and age, in, in Ephesus, it is hard to be a widow. There aren't social safety nets. And so if you are a woman and you've lost your husband and you don't have the ability to work, you rely on help from others in order to be able to get by. And the church bears a responsibility to care for widows. Why? God cares for widows. In Exodus 22, verse 22, God says, If you mistreat a widow and she cries out to me, bad news for you. His people, if they are to be his people, must care for widows. In Isaiah 1, verse 17, it says, wash yourselves. This is God speaking to his people. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Just a few weeks ago, we looked at this passage in Ruth. Remember Ruth and Naomi? And they come back, and what has happened in Boaz's field? He is obeying the command of God. He is allowing the widows to glean the edges of the field, leaving the, the extras at the edge of the field for the widows, for those who are in trouble. And so um, that's a part of what it means to be God's people. God has a heart for widows. He calls his people to care for them. The church in Ephesus knew that. That was not the problem. Here was the problem. Which widows? All of the widows? Is the church in Ephesus to take care of all of the widows? See, I don't know if you noticed. Look at verse 9 with me for a moment. He, Paul says, let a widow be enrolled. So apparently there was a list of widows. There was a list that existed, and, and if you were on that list, you were taken care of by the church in Ephesus. If you were on that list, you were supported financially, you were helped out, you were fed, and word got out that there was a list of widows that if you were on that list, you would get taken care of. Now, there was one, there was one commitment you had to make to get on the list. If you were a widow and you wanted to get on the list at the church of Ephesus, you had to promise that you were not going to get remarried again. So that was a, that was a promise. I'm, I'm a widow. I'm committed to being a widow. And, um, and lots of women wanted to be on this list. And so lots of women joined and got on this list. And word got around. 
non-Christian women who did not want to be a part of the church, did not see themselves as a part of the family, did not care about Christ, did not care about the kingdom, but wanted to be supported by the church, got onto the list. In addition, young women who were widowed, who said, I'll get on the list, I'll tell the church I'm not going to get remarried, would be on the list, would look over at a young man, would fall in love, and then would break their promise. And this was happening, and it got out of hand as the list grew. And so Timothy's wrestling as a, as a pastor of a church in Ephesus, how do I deal with this? Because if they weren't careful as a church, they could find themselves giving all of their money to the widows. A hundred percent of the money to people who need it. Which sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Isn't there something in your heartstrings that go, oh man, a hundred percent of money to people who need it? It sounds lovely, but it's also out of focus. Hold these two things in tension with me. The church must help others, and the church is not a social welfare organization. There are lots of needs in Los Angeles. So our church, we partner with the Salvation Army to help the poor. We partner with Harvest Home to help the destitute. We partner with After Hours to help the trafficked. We partner with Care Portal to help the orphaned. We get phone calls. I get phone calls as a pastor in my, uh, I get voicemails from people in the city sometimes who have never set foot in our church, who when they are in a period of desperation, just find my phone number and reach out and say, I need help, can you help me? And my first instinct is always, how can I help? That's what I'm here to do. There are organizations that do are amazing work in Los Angeles, and our church must continue to grow in our meeting needs of people in LA. But Paul is concerned, as we all should be, that too often for the church, our desire to meet physical needs can overtake our primary responsibility. The, the church cannot meet all of the needs in any society. And so Paul is telling Timothy, the church isn't supposed to because they might lose sight of their main focus. So what should Timothy do? Well, Timothy has to choose who to help. Paul says, Timothy, you, you have to differentiate. That's the solution. Here are the requirements the requirements, so you've, you've got this responsibility to help, of course. Here are the requirements of those you are to help. You have to differentiate between widows who are truly in need. Who are the widows who are truly in need and the widows that you are not to prioritize? Well, if you look at verse 4, you'll see it right there. If a widow has children or grandchildren... Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. So, so requirement number one to be helped by the church as a widow is that you can't have other family. Now, some of the widows had family who could help. Now, the church is a family made up of families, 
And if you're single, you're just as much a part of this church as anybody else is. But Paul says if you're a widow and you have immediate family, your immediate family bears a first responsibility before the church as a whole does. If a widow has family, then family must be the first to help. Paul does not like the idea of looking around and seeing the Christians who are unwilling to help widows in their own family just pushing those needs off to the community. Paul says, no, the immediate family helps before the church family does because if you fail at this, you are, Paul says, verse 8, worse than an unbeliever. You have a responsibility to your family. And I know family is hard. I know that your parents can be difficult and challenging. They raised you. They sacrificed for you. And as they get older, you play a role in caring for them. That's how God designed it. So remember, young people, remember that. You have an obligation to your family. So if the widow has no family, then the church becomes family. See how beautiful that is? If a widow has no family, the church says, you're going to be okay because we're a church and we're your family. The Atlantic uh, had an article just a few weeks ago talking about how people are participating in America and the church less and less. I think one of you sent it to me. And part of the article talked about um, there's a growing trend in the church towards individualism. And I, I, I do think individualism is in some sense a good thing, but individualism without any sort of control, without a recognition of community, completely fails. It turns churchgoers into individuals who woke up in your individual homes, drove your individual cars, sit in these individual chairs, experienced this service, and then walk away to live Monday through Saturday in your own individual lives completely disconnected. I'm trying to break your, your thinking about that. Like, I'm trying to change the way you see that. That is not the model of church that we're after. We are not consumers of a production. We are members of a family. The people sitting next to you right now have gifts and abilities, and some of you have needs and challenges. We are the ones we are called to help each other in our times of need. We're a family. And if we lose that, it, things fall apart. So the widows need to have, first, they need to have their own. If they don't have their own family, then they qualify, right? Second requirement, look at verse 5 and verse 10. Um, Paul makes this distinction in verse 5 that they must be Christians. They must be believers. In verse 5, he says, she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God. He contrasts that with women who are self-indulgent, who are kind of walking dead, he says. Paul makes this distinction between the Christian widow and the non-Christian. And Paul says, look at Think about the Christian widows in your midst. Verse 10, they have reputations for good works, brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the feet of the saints, um, uh, uh, cared for the afflicted, devoted herself to every good work. Over and over and over again, you see Paul say that you have widows who are Christian, they get priority. 
Jesus had, had taught us, Jesus taught us that the world would know that we are Christians by the way we love one another. He says this in John 13. He does not say they will know we are Christians by the way we love the world, but by the way we'll love one another. Yes, we must love our neighbors. Absolutely. But we bear a responsibility to one another that's greater than to those who are not believers. Galatians 6.10 puts it great when Paul says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we must love the man who was robbed on the side of the road, see the story of the Good Samaritan. But we prioritize those in our church family. Part of the reason we do membership as a church is not just because we like saw what Costco did and we're like, hey, we should implement that system with us. Like That's not the thinking. Membership is about us as a church knowing who are we? Who's a part of our family? In this room, some of you are checking out Risen for the first time. That's great. We hope you're welcome here. We hope you get connected. Fantastic. Love to have you. Hope you feel very uh, the warmth of Christ in us. Absolutely. Some of you are here, and you're like, you're, you're visiting relatives. That's great. Happy to have you. Some of you are, are saying, this church, this is my church. These are my people. This is my family. And that's what membership does. And so the second requirement of widows, one, that, that, um, that they ha don't have any family, two, that they're Christian, third, that they are over 60. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. So the, the young widow, so Paul says that you're young if you're under the age of 60. That's what Paul says. That's his definition of youth. Just, just pointing that out. That's what he says. So Paul says, don't put young widows on the list, right? It's got to be under 60. No young widows. Why no young widows? Verse 11 through 16, no young widows. Why? Why is it? Two, two reasons. First, because they, they had to commit to not getting remarried, and apparently the younger widows were like, yeah, I will sign up for the widows list. I would love help from the church. I will not get married who is he? I want to be married to him. Ignore that. I'm going this direction. And Paul feels like that kind of making this commitment and breaking this commitment is not good. So they were breaking their promises. That was happening. And Paul says, I don't want them to have to break those promises. So he says, let those young widows get remarried. Let them have children. Let them manage their household. That's good. That's the first reason they're to be, um, they're to be older. And the second reason is because apparently the younger widows, rather than learning the way that Paul is so adamant, let the women learn, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. Instead, the younger women are going around causing trouble. You see it in verse 13. They are, they are skipping out on the gathering. They're being idle. They're gossiping and moving gossip around the church. They're stirring up drama in the body. And so Paul says, I don't want these young widows to break their vows. And I don't want them to, to be on the list because they're, they're causing trouble. And then in their trouble causing, they're walking away from their commitments and some even walking away from the faith. So he says to Timothy, Timothy, here's what you need to prioritize. Widows without relatives, widows who love Jesus, and widows who are older than 60. 
Now, this is a hard teaching for a church that wants to treat everybody the same. This is tough. But Paul is saying the church cannot help everyone, so it has to choose who to help. And so I want us to think through that, and I want to try to apply some of this stuff as we wrap up this morning. Let me, let me take this text, now that I hope you understand it, and let's try to apply some things for us. First, brothers and sisters, treat each other like family. I've already emphasized this. I'm going to keep banging this drum. Respect those who are older than you. Encourage one another. Share each other's burdens. Our church meets together on Sunday, yes. We also meet together throughout the week. We have community groups. And community groups are opportunities for us to be together more often than Sunday. It's an opportunity for us to unload our burdens, to invite prayer, to confess our sins, to say to one another, I'm here for you. I've got your back. I am overjoyed as a pastor when I hear that someone who has a difficult time in a community group is going through a rough time and their community group is meeting that need before it comes to me. Like, I love it when it gets to me. But I love it even more when our community groups are caring for one another. If you're not a part of a community group, join one. If you don't know people in the church, before you leave today, grab someone and say, can we grab coffee? Can we grab lunch? Can we hang out? You should be interacting with each other more than just on Sunday morning. Remember, this is a family gathering. And leaders in the church, if you are leading anything in the church, hear me say this to you. You are to set a standard for purity in the church. Flee temptation, set a good example. Young men, treat the young women the way that you'd want other men to treat your sister, especially if you're dating. So that's the first thing. Treat each other like family. Second thing, keep the main thing the main thing. The widow problem in 1 Timothy 5 is making the church wonky. And, and so Paul's like, you people aren't caring for your own families. You people are abandoning your commitments that you've made. You're leading to gossiping and busybody and being idle and, and leaving the faith. And the church was developing a bad reputation. It was running out of resources. And Paul's like, we got to solve this problem because we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. What is the main thing for our church? The main thing for our church is the good news of what God has done for us and for our neighbors in and through his son, Jesus. We call this the gospel. This is the main thing. We declare to our world that God offers peace with others, with his people, right? That you, that the, the problems we face in our lives are almost always at the root that we do not know God and we do not have peace with God. And God offers peace by giving himself. God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. And how does that happen? You turn away from your sins. You receive by faith Jesus, his son, who was God in flesh, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross, dying in our place, rose again on the third day. And when you say yes to Jesus, everything that is his becomes yours. And you get life with God today forever. That's our message. That's our number one priority. Let me, let me just say this. Our top priority as a church will never be financed by non-Christians. I want to, like, 
If Bill Gates came to me tomorrow and said, hey, I'd like to give a ton of my money for you guys as a church to do the thing that's most important to you, I would be deeply suspicious. I would feel like we were doing something wrong. Did you, did you see what I'm saying that? Because our number one priority our num- is to do what only we can do. The thing we have been given that no one else has been given, we have been given the greatest message in the world from God to declare that message. Now, are we to live that message out? Yes, but, but our number one responsibility is to share with people that they can have peace with God through Jesus, the gospel. That is our most important thing. It gets our number one amount of time. It gets our focus. It gets our energy. Proclaiming the gospel, evangelizing the lost, making disciples, equipping the saints, because that work matters not just today, but for eternity. So I want to just dispel any notions. If you're here and you're like, our church, our number one thing should be caring for the poor. No. It will not be. We love the poor. We'll talk about that in a moment. But, but, but the, our number one thing is that we are called to do what only we can do because we have been given the message of God. Amen? So keep the main thing the main thing. Third and finally, our call is to look for ways to help. Hear me clearly. The gospel message that we proclaim will be robbed of its power if we fail to meet the needs of others, especially our own brothers and sisters. So we cannot look the other way when a member is in need. We cannot bear every single need in Los Angeles, but we must bear the needs of our community. So if you're a member of this church and you feel like you've got no help, hear me. We are here to help because we are a family. James chapter 2, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says they have faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? We have families to care for in our church, and we as a church family have responsibilities to one another. So as we leave this morning, as we prepare to leave this morning, as we come to this table in just a moment, know that we're a family. Know that we're called to care for one another. Know that our number one priority is the greatest news that the world still doesn't know or hear. And know that our obligation is to look around and to be people who are helping others because God has first acted towards helping us. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, it saddens me when I look around at churches who have lost their mission. They no longer 
exists for the primary mission of making disciples. And Lord, I, 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 you have given us important, clear words about what we are to set our eyes towards, and we want to keep the main thing the main thing. So Lord, would you deliver us from the kinds of distractions that creep in? And at the same time, Lord, what a failure we will be as a community if we do not obey you by seeking to help those in our midst who are in need of help. Lord, I pray that you would give our church the ability to be honest about our needs, that you would help us to see our gifts and resources to help meet those needs, that people um, who don't know you, who have heard us proclaim the good news of Jesus, would then see the way we care for one another and would be confused by the way we love each other. That they would look at our church and be like, man, that church doesn't just believe, preach the gospel, but they believe the gospel by the way that they live. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd give us wisdom. I pray for those of us who bear responsibilities to our own families and when that's hard to do, give us wisdom about how to honor our families when relationships are tough. Help us to be sacrificial and to be caring. Lord, help us to treat one another with respect. And Lord, I do pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would make it clear the ways in which we as a church need to grow in our ability to fulfill your call that we might be the family of God, caring for one another. Give us a vision of the church that is your vision for the church and not our own creation. And last, I want to pray for those who are here this morning who do not know you, do not have peace with you. They are angry at you. They are running from you. I pray that this morning that they would turn from their sins and they would trust in Jesus. That you would fill them with your spirit. Give them life that is yourself they might live forever with you being transformed by your power. It's in your name we pray. Amen.